You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Everywhere I go, I see his face. I just really miss him. Yeah, I miss him too. I don't think Tony would have done what he did if he didn't know that you were going to be here after he was gone. You gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work. Because I am going on vacation. Heads up, Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. Answer the phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo's. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. Who could have used someone like you on my world? New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. A snap to our hole in our dimension. You're saying there's a multiverse? We have a job to do, and you're coming with us. Maybe someone else you can use. What about Thor? Off-world. Captain Marvel. Unavailable. But I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Bitch, please, you've been to space. What do you want, Peter? I want to go back on my trip with the girl who I really like and tell her how I feel. MJ, I am Spider-Man. No, of course I'm not. I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're right, you may not be ready, but this is my responsibility. Saving the world requires sacrifice. Sometimes people die. Oh my god. I just always feel like I'm putting my friends in danger. The world needs the next Iron Man. Are you going to step up or not? I work with Spider-Man. You work for Spider-Man? I work with Spider-Man, not for Spider-Man. New plan. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home, and the story is as follows. Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. The film is starring Tom Holland, Samuel L. Jackson, Zendaya, Kobe Smulders, Jon Favreau, Marissa Tomei, Jake Gyllenhaal, J.B. Smoove, Jacob Batalon, and Martin Starr. It is directed by John Watts, written by Chris McKenna and Eric Somers. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. And because it's a Marvel film, and I love getting different people's perspectives on these kinds of movies, we have two guests joining us today. First up, we have from Shuffle Online, Catherine Gonzalez. Hi, y'all. And from Cinemania World, Dwayne Miller. Hey, everyone. All right, everyone. So, Spider-Man Far From Home. The uh, second film of the year that took its heroes international, but this one uh, seemingly worked a little bit better than the last time. So I have to say, following the events of Avengers Endgame, 
no small task considering uh, what an epic note that film left us off on. But not just that. Spider-Man is probably next to, what, say, Iron Man? The most beloved character within Kevin Feige's MCU. And maybe the most beloved Marvel comic book character of all time. Now, we've already known that Tom Holland has proven himself to be quite the Spider-Man with Spider-Man Homecoming, and of course, his small stints in Civil War, Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. But now, Far From Home, I would say in many ways, was a real test to see what John Watts, Tom Holland, could really do with this character in pushing him forward in a post-Tony Stark world. (gasps) That's right, people. I said it. If you're listening to this and you have not seen Avengers Endgame, I don't know what the hell is the matter with you. (laughs) It's not our fault at this point. (laughs) No, definitely not. But that is what this movie had before it was it really had to take this character into uncharted territory and kind of twist some things that we have seen the character go through before in other iterations. But just within the context of the MCU, how did they do? Let's find out from everybody that's here today. Let's start off with one of our guests. We'll start off with Catherine. Catherine, what did you ultimately think of Spider-Man Far From Home? Yeah, like you mentioned, this film had a lot of lot going for, I mean, a lot of stakes going for it in terms of um, moving the Marvel forward after Endgame. And I thought considering the stakes, they did pretty well. Um, it was dealing with the aftermath. I love the fact that uh, Tom Holland is kind of grieving Um, rightly so. He doesn't know what to do. He also just wants to be a high school kid. Um, And then I thought the the stakes for the movie were also appropriate. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into spoilers or anything, which I can talk about later, but um, what goes on in the film I thought was appropriate for um, this kind of uh, film after Endgame. So I really enjoyed it. And for me, one of the, the highlights is the visual effects in this film. Uh, Marvel always has really great visual effects, but for some reason it just looked really, really good, even better than usual. So I really enjoyed that. So for me, it's a fun popcorn movie, which we're kind of lacking this summer. So it was kind of a nice surprise, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I do want to stress that we are going to go into full spoiler mode discussion after the review is over. So for those of you that want to discuss this film's twist, the post credit scene and things of that nature, hold off. Don't worry. We will get there. Uh, we may be spoiling the events of Avengers Endgame for people, but we are not going to spoil the big reveals in Spider-Man Far From Home right away. So tiptoe it around it with your Peter Tingles or your Spidey senses, whatever you want to call it, as much as you possibly can. Dwayne, let's jump over to you. What did you think of Spider-Man Far From Home? So uh, yesterday I actually watched it for the second time. And I definitely really enjoyed it the second time again. First time I really, really liked it, but I didn't know if I loved it yet. Um, Second time around, I really loved it. I loved the story and the, um, you know, I loved everything with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, once again, seeing him kind of elevate into this new kind of MCU that we have going forward without a Tony Stark is definitely very interesting. And um, I thought it was very, very good. I really enjoyed all of the action, all of the emotions of the movie. Of course, it had a lot of shoes to fill 
with uh, people loving Spider-Man Homecoming and then Avengers Endgame. A lot of people thought this was maybe too soon for another Marvel movie, but I thought it fits with how Endgame kind of ends and how everyone's story is kind of, you know, kind of taken to that next level. So I, I definitely think they do Spider-Man well once again, and I'm excited to see more of it of and Tom Holland Spider-Man as well. All righty. All righty. Let's hear from Tom Holland's mom herself. Nicole Ackman. <laughs> um, yeah. So for any listeners of the podcast who have heard me talk about Tom Holland before, I love him. Um, I got to go see this movie with my little sister who is 16 and a true Tom Holland stan. Um, and we had the best time. We are already talking about going back to see it a second time with both my parents. I think it's a really great um, family film. I think it's a really mm. great uh, not that it's just a family film, but I feel like that's something that we're kind of lacking right now at the box office, um, other than Toy Story 4. So I think this is a really good one. I think it's a great follow-up to Spider-Man Homecoming. I think it's a great follow-up to Endgame. Um, I really love that they actually you know, kind of gave Tom Holland a lot of really nice acting to do in terms of his reactions to his you know, mentor father figure being gone and I really also like that they kind of explored this dynamic that he has with Nick Fury um and I I feel like you can draw some comparisons between this film and like some of the mid Harry Potter films even in terms of you know a a young character who is coming of age and also trying to deal with the responsibility that's been thrust on him and whether or not he even wants it so I thought that that was a really cool direction to take the character in Okay, great, great. And before we get to myself, Katie Schaefer. Well, I'm I'm a big Spidey fan. I've read several Spidey comics. And, you know, I really think they handled this version of Spider-Man super well. Like, they, they give him a wide variety of story development, allow him to really come into his own, and a- force him to ask questions that haven't been previously asked you know, all the time in the comics, you know, we see Uncle Ben, we see the Green Goblin, we see all of that on the regular, whereas this forces him to deal with an entirely new situation. And I think Tom Holland is a perfect Spider-Man. And and I feel totally justified in that because Stan Lee thought the same. So I, I thought that this one improved on the last one mostly because origin stories are not my bag and despite the kind of difference from the original origin story this is something totally new and totally spider-man and gives us something fresh and utterly enjoyable yeah i think i've heard a few comparisons to Spider-Man 2, the Sam Raimi popular film that everyone seems to love with this because while Homecoming wasn't an origin story, it was taking this new version of Spider-Man and putting him within the world of the MCU. And yes, we don't get the Uncle Ben or him getting bitten by the spider and discovering his powers and all of that. But it still was a fresh introduction to the character in many ways for a lot of us. And his first real story. What I like about Far From Home, and by extension, there are some parts of the movie that I don't like because of this, is I feel like John Watts really doubled down on everything. 
that they did right in Homecoming in terms of the humor, the action set pieces, the pacing of the film, the stakes. It just felt bigger, much like how Spider-Man 2 also found ways to push its main character forward and raise the stakes considerably. I feel like Far From Home was striving to do that in many, many ways here. And I do feel there are, that there are times where Watts is able to juggle those moments very, very well. I mean, in my opinion, I think the growth that Peter Parker goes on in this movie, his journey, both as a high school student in chasing his high school crush and also as this hero in a post-Tony Stark world where everybody is wondering who is going to be the next Tony Stark and him having to assume that mantle or just even come to grips with the fact that it might be him. I think that that, I think the film just handled all that so well, so, so, so well. And where I didn't feel that it handled it well was there are some moments where I think the humor goes a little too far and it goes a little overboard at times. And I'm just sitting here and I'm wondering, I don't know if the film needs these moments. Like they're funny and I'm giggling or laughing hysterically and I can't deny that I'm having a good time, but I just feel that there are some moments in this movie where tonally it just felt a bit off and there is a twist, which I'm not going to say here, There is a twist involving uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character midway through the film where I started to fear that the movie was really tipping its way into camp-level territory. And I was like, oh no, it's Iron Man 3 all over again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which I, I admire that that movie took risks, but I'll admit, I personally am not the biggest fan of that particular film for that character. And I know everyone's mileage may vary. The MCU taste amongst everyone is very, very different. But that's where I felt like this movie was going. And what saved it for me was Watts being able to really pull everything together in terms of the character, the journey, and the themes of the film in regards to responsibility and choice. And also, too, um, something surprising that I didn't quite think was going to be such a central theme to this, which was also a theme of, I don't I don't know if it's so much deception or I don't know what you would call it, um, illusion, fraud. I, I don't know what the word is for it necessarily, but just this, this idea of, ly- of lying to yourself, tricking yourself, whatever it might be, into thinking that you're something that you are not, ultimately. All of that really, really came through for me and really helped to pull this film together at the end. And then there's the post credit sequence, which I'll just I'll just get it out of the way right now. One extra point from me for that. <laughs> One extra point. <laughs> same here. Same here. Yep. I totally. I I have never heard of a like when that post credit uh scene happened, both times that I went, my theater was just erupted. And you know, everyone's relaxed and calm, movies over, but then uh, that comes up and everyone just loses their minds. Probably one of the um, wa- probably one of the like best moments in the theater this year for me, aside from Avengers Assembled. So just really, really good stuff. What what, what do you guys think about um, in terms of? I want to kind of start us off here. If we're going to just talk about specific things, what do you guys think of the journey that both Peter Parker goes on and the journey that 
Spider-Man himself goes on. Because I do feel they are two different journeys happening, obviously, to the same person in the movie. I feel like Spidey and Peter Parker are really going on very parallel journeys in that they're growing up in the same time. They're both learning how to deal with an incredible amount of pressure in that they're very different pressures, but it's still pressure. And he's still, I think he's supposed to be 15 in this, you know, as a 15 year old, you're dealing with something that is either catastrophic as Spider-Man where it could destroy your entire world or you're dealing with you know more personal relationships which i won't i won't go any further than that oh no Uh, i think it's okay to say that uh uh, in regards to his relationship with uh mj in this the trailers are definitely hint at it and his aunt his aunt's uh relationship in that movie like forcing it in places that he's not really ready to go he thinks he is but he's not necessarily So I think they really tried to have kind of a tangential, like as one moves forward, the other one does. But I'm not sure they succeeded, but I was still happy with how they did it. I think Spider-Man and Tom Holland as Peter Parker both really move forward and it feels like a natural progression from the previous movie and from Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. I also really like that they kind of explored how his two identities kind of interact with each other in some ways. Um, Like there's some strain put on his relationship with his best friend, Ned, because of him being Spider-Man. And we kind of see that for the first time that it's no longer just, Oh, this is such a cool thing. um, But that there, there's some actual tension there, I think. Um, And things like he realized, you, you mean like from a jealousy standpoint? I'm no, I think there's there's bits where Ned is like, you have to you have to protect us. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. I see. And I think there's yeah. some pressure there in the yep. same way that, and I think it that also I think mirrors in some ways the whole Harry Potter thing, where like there is some strain in his relationships because even they start to look to him as the chosen one. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, and I think that that's a pressure that he's getting not just as Spider-Man, but suddenly it's kind of seeping into his life as Peter Parker in the same way that he realizes that, you know, whenever he has this sort of, I think I can say he has this romantic rival and he <laughs> kind of has the realization that like <laughs> he is capable of really hurting this guy. Um, as we see almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just because he's like, oh, right. I still have these powers even whenever I'm going about my normal everyday life. And isn't that like very interesting too? how I love that? Like I was mentioning before about how John Watts had a lot to juggle with this movie, but Peter Parker himself is also trying to juggle being a normal teenage kid and skirting on like his responsibilities of being Spider-Man. Like, I just want to go on summer vacation with my friends and Mm -hmm. take like a break from this whole superhero thing. And it's such a 15 year old mentality to have like like the world is asking this poor kid to grow up before he is ready to and that is something that Mm -hmm. uh, the great thing about spider-man throughout history has always been his relatability and who can't relate with that you know (laughs) right it's also it's also very interesting because if you look at the parallels between homecoming infinity war and then too far from home homecoming infinity war he wants to be a part of the fight 
and he wants to be present. He's texting Happy. He's texting Tony Stark. He's asking them, when's my next mission? Well, I think a lot of that is because of Tony. Right. And when what can I do to help and how can I help? And now with all of what's happened with Tony and then uh, all the stuff that happened on Titan and Infinity War and then Endgame. Now he's like, I just need a break and I want to actually be a teenager for once and go on this vacation. But everyone now the the difference is that everyone around him is telling him that now you're a part of the fight and you need to help out and you got Nick Fury in his ear and you got all of that. And it's the, I just like the parallels between the movies and how they were able to differentiate that and how, you know, as a teenager, you do go through the, you do go through these things where at one minute you're like, yeah, I want to do it. Let's, let's go. Let's, you know, but then you realize how real the stakes are and that the stakes are there when you want to, when you want to put on a mask or put on a cape or put on a suit and you want to be a hero, there's a, there are stakes. And now he's just like, all right, I want to be, I want to go tell the the girl I like how I feel about her. And I want to be a regular teenager. I thought that was very interesting about the movie as well. <laughs> how, how many of you while watching this movie said to yourself internally, the line with great power, comes great responsibility because <laughs> i was like they're really telling that same story they're telling that same message but just yeah. in a different way and i like that a lot i agree they showed instead of told like there's yes. no telling yes this is what spider-man is about it's showing that spider-man is willing to step up every time when things get hard and intense and people are in danger he is willing to step up and risk whether it's his identity whether it's his life whether it's his superhero powers whatever he is willing to step up and save the innocent people which is always like kind of the core of who spider-man is now, I'm I'm curious because did anyone get the vibe that Tony Stark was almost the replacement? Like I said, like I feel like the MCU is doing like these twists on the story that we've already been told before. Like like Tony Stark is the stand-in for Uncle Ben in that regard. Oh, yes. definitely. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Did, and in that case, it got me wondering, and maybe they've alluded to it before. I don't know. I don't remember or recall there ever being a mention of an Uncle Ben within this version, the MCU version. Can anyone recall that? There isn't any mention of him. No mention, but I can tell you 100% for certain, there is no mention of him. So that means that Happy really has a good shot with Aunt May. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, I remember watching the first movie and every movie after, like, waiting to see, okay, when's the Uncle Ben reference coming in? All we hear about is Aunt May as a single mom, as a single parent taking over Peter's life due to some reason that we're never getting an explanation for. Well, honestly, I kind of like that because I think with the previous uh, previous installments, it got kind of really embedded in us, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben. So I feel like maybe they're just trying to go away from that, from the other versions, which I'm okay with. Yep. It was tiring. We'd reached the, we reached, uh, you know, exhaustion point like we have with Batman. Like we don't need any more origin stories. We know, we know. I want to just throw it as a side here because I, I, I mean, maybe it warrants some discussion and maybe you all have feelings on it. But I also want to say that I love that happy John Favreau has taken such an active role within the Spider-Man films. And I feel like Far From Home was actually like his his best, like his some of his best work that I've seen from him yet in the MCU. I, oh, I agree. I agree. I, 
I love the character of Happy and I love getting to see him like have such a prominent role. And I also think that the way that they've evolved his relationship with Peter says a lot about both characters. Um, and there's that there's a moment between Happy and Peter that I honestly oh my God. crying. Yes. Both of them are so emotional. And there's this like real feeling that they are two of the people who are missing Tony Stark the most. And mm. then kind of connecting through that and realizing that like they come to have this respect and this affection for each other, knowing how much Tony loved each other. Right. They have an understanding, like a connection that no one else has except maybe Happy and Pepper. Yeah. Of this is what Tony meant to both the world and to us personally is this kind of like this shining sun that brought sense and order and logic to the universe. Even in death, he is the hero. And I have to say that was one of my favorite LOL moments of the entire movie was the name of those damn glasses. Edith, (laughs) (laughs) even in death, I am the hero. I'm like, what a narcissistic, such a Tony Stark thing to do. I love it. Yep. What a son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It was fantastic. I also love that that happy kind in a sense, um, Peter, he's the only one that I think uh, Peter really needs and, or needs him because I feel like with the other characters they they're good they have other people um so I love the fact maybe that's why he's just more prominent in these films because Peter Parker is young he needs someone to look up to especially now that Tony Stark is not there so I think that's also kind of another bonding experience in terms of the MCU well and well when Nicole said before there's a moment where uh where Tom Holland puts on like he's playing with tech gear yeah, and Happy's yeah, just was- watching him, and it's reminding him of Tony, and it's just like, oh my god, like, because you know what it is? It's it's the way he puts on the thing on his hand. He yeah. does it exactly like how Robert Downey Jr. did it, like the motion, and it it like triggered something in my own brain where I was like, oh my god, he he is the next Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Happy just goes between babysitting Morgan Stark and Peter Parker now. (laughs) (laughs) There's something in Homecoming that really, really bothered me. Now it bothers me a lot less. I have to admit, I really, really thought the Zendaya MJ reveal at the end of Homecoming was so cheap. Mm -hmm. And and I really, really did not like it because it reminded me so much of, oh, we're going to be cute. What's your name? Robin. And I'm like, it's Dark Knight Rises, like Dark all Knight. over again. And I was like, damn it! Dark Knight Rises. I was like, they're they're just doing this shit to be cute, and I'm not falling for it. You know what? I have to say, in this film, I really fell for it because Tom Holland and Zendaya, Zendaya, Zendaya. How do I? It's Zendaya, Zendaya. right? All right. I just want to make sure I'm saying it right, and I don't get like a bunch of hate mail for this. No, it's uh, Tom Holland and Zendaya have unbelievably awkward yet such pitch perfect chemistry together it's great they do i really i, I really loved them in in this movie i i kept thinking about how um they become like one of my favorite on screen spider-man couples uh just because i think the reason why we all felt that way in homecoming was because she didn't really have much to do in that movie and she had a few no lines. it was um Michael Keaton's daughter and then when I was yep. like why is she not in the sequel I'm like oh yeah she right. probably hates him because her dad's in jail <laughs> right 
so then that so then that um so when she says oh yeah my my friends call me MJ it didn't feel earned because this wasn't the main person they was focused on that movie but this one you know right off the jump I mean the first scene is like one of the first scenes with uh with Tom Holland is him talking about how he wants to you know wow MJ and he wants to get with MJ and do all this amazing stuff overseas with her and I I really love their relationship too because they had um. They had chemistry, but it wasn't like this, like, you know, forced kind of chemistry. It was like just awkward, cute, shy chemistry. And then you get to learn more about her character in the movie, too. And, um, you know, and I just really enjoyed that as well. And I think this is such a great interpretation of the Mary Jane character, having read I don't know, three or four iterations of who Mary Jane is, including like the original, much more 50s. milk toast white bread version of mary jane she is totally a great progression from that in that she's she's goth and she's creepy and she does she likes weird things and how her and peter connect and how intense and smart she is all of those are great progressions from the original character you know 60 years ago 70 years ago and it was great to see them give her an opportunity to kind of branch out because I totally agree. In the first movie, she's given very little scope and it's she's just kind of in the background and it's kind of like a almost an Easter egg that she's MJ by the right. end of it. Right. And it feels like in this they kind of they did it well and that they took that and then expanded on it in uh, an interesting and engaging way. And I was just so pleased because I was also worried. I was like, oh, how are they going to do this? Because Mary Jane can be handled in a few different ways. And I thought this felt very natural and like a good progression of a previously seen character that felt like something you can really enjoy and connect with. I also, I just think that their, you know, romance is handled so well because it feels believable for a high school relationship. So often in films, I feel like, you know, I just want to be like, okay, but people don't fall in love like that at that age, typically. Like, so true, Nicole. The fact that he's saying, you know, I want to tell the girl that I like, that I yeah. have feelings for her. And I also love the fact that he's not like, oh, I just think she's so hot. Like, that's never really factored in. No. He knows her. He knows what she likes. He, you know, he has these very specific things. that He's like, well, she likes this, so I want to do this. Um, and I just felt like it's it's such a good example of like what a what a cute high school relationship should look like versus what yeah. the other cute high school relationship looks like in this movie with his best friend Ned <laughs> and his bae guys bae. Okay, but we all had oh friends God, who that were hilarious. <laughs> I have to admit, it was funny. I did think the joke got a little old after a while, but it was it was pretty funny. That was like one of those examples. I think like looking back on it, I feel like everything with Peter's friends and uh, the teachers, that was the, co- the comedic stuff that really started to bother me just a little bit because of how frequently it was being used. Um there were some really golden moments in it, though. Like, for example, uh, there's there's one moment where his teacher is like taking a picture of like the scene, uh, this like the scenic route <laughs> oh, or whatever. God, that part. Yes, and he like he he almost drops the camera in the water, and then he goes to take the photo, and, he, and then he does drop it. It's it was, so perfect. <laughs> 
<laughs> that killed me. Oh, I agree. I was, and you I can see it coming, like, but it was still funny. <laughs> right? You could totally tell, well, you're going to lose that camera, buddy. And then yeah. but it's still so funny when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, it wasn't perfect, but it, it, it was fine. It was fine. Um, before we get to uh, this film's really big cast member, a.k.a. <laughs> the Jakes, uh, what did we think of the inclusion of Samuel L. Jackson and Colby Smulders into the plot with this? Honestly, I, I've i been hoping for more Colby Smulders in all the Marvel films. Yeah. So for me, having her in here was amazing, and I love the fact that it was just her and Nick Fury, so she was able to kind of take some of the spotlight in this film, which I was like, yes, finally. I so love Maria Henry. Nicole and I are on the same page about this. We totally yep. agree with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she's, I mean, she's a beloved character, even though she's only come out in a few of the movies. But the fact that you get to see her at the forefront and she's the one there was awesome. Um, right? She gets to be such a badass. And it was like, yeah. oh, finally, she gets her opportunity to show what awesome stuff she can do. I also felt like the Nick Fury stuff was really interesting because... I was sitting there, and it, and I actually saw somebody on Twitter also make this comparison today, but it felt like he and Peter Parker had this very much, like, almost Dumbledore Harry Potter relationship, where he's pushing him and pushing him to take this responsibility and, you know, own up to what he is as a superhero in a way that Tony Stark never did, and it kind of made me realize that, yeah, in the previous films, Tony Stark has kind of sheltered Peter away from the rest of the Avengers, and that's part of what he's dealing with is he no longer has this, forgive the pun, but shield um, <laughs> <laughs> between him and Nick Fury, who's quite serious um, and, and isn't going to coddle Peter in the way that, you know, Tony did in some ways. Yeah, that's why he's avoiding his calls, because he yeah. knows he has to face the music. Right by the by, like the middle of the movie, I was like, Tony, if this is what you're expecting of someone, you maybe didn't do the best job of preparing them because in Homecoming, he's very like, No, you be the neighborhood Spider Man or you don't be Spider Man at all. And then this one, it's kind of like, Well, he's got to step up to from level A to level Q. Yeah, so at times it was like, you could tell that Tony wasn't quite prepared for where the world was going to take him. He thought this was still, you know, 10, 15 years off. I also have to say there's that one scene where Nick Fury is kind of berating uh, Peter Parker, you know, asking him if he's actually serious about this. And all you can see um, from like the costume are Tom Holland's eyes. His eyes. Yeah. Oh my God. So perfect. Oh he's my god. A, he's such a good actor. It's so crazy how, you know, someone so young can be so um so telling and where, you know, all you see is eyes. You can tell how exactly how he's feeling. And then that leads into the, you know, more development with between him and Mysterio. And yeah, I love that as well. I have to admit, I was definitely something felt off the entire time for me. About what? Uh, about Samuel Jackson in this movie. Okay. And and then I like understood later why. Oh, I wonder right? why. I was getting but now we, we thought it about before it anyone else. And uh, but here's well, we're not going to talk about it now. But what I will say is that while I was watching the movie, I was kind of taking points off of the movie for it. Hmm. 
and then you know later and then you know i i i have mixed feelings <laughs> let's just put it that way if that makes yeah. sense I yes, mean, it, did it does. Make, it does make sense because I think in some ways it felt very spectatory from both Nick Fury and um, Colby Mulder's character, which we'll allude to. I don't. I don't want to say anything because I'm bad at spoilers. Yep. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all about to be pretty bad at spoilers. I think we're going to try our best to tiptoe around this until we actually get into it. Here, what did you all think of Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck, aka Mysterio? Amazing. I yes. loved it. I love um I love Jake Gyllenhaal. He's one of my favorite actors today. Um a lot of his performances like you he he has such great range where like there's you have mood swings with his character throughout the entire movie where like you're not on you're not just one kind of emotion with him and then you completely by the end you're completely this other emotion with him and I thought he was great I thought he was a very well addition a very great uh I don't want to say that word but I thought he was a very ad- great addition to the MCU I um in the first part of the movie I was like I wasn't totally on board. I was like, God, it almost feels like he's playing a stereotype of a superhero. Yes. Um, but then I realized why he was doing that by the end yes. of the movie. And in the second half of the movie, God, he's so good. It's the kind of like, I, I almost want to say like chaotic energy um, that you don't often get in the MCU. Like, there, you know, you get it from certain actors here and there. Like, I would almost, I don't know. It's, it's really one of those things where like I want to go watch it again just because I feel like I even was missing things because I was like my mind was in overdrive trying to like figure out everything that he was doing Nicole I was watching this movie and the first half I was completely like oh my god they miscast him (laughs) oh my god I I thought it was so awful honestly i was not feeling it at all and the only scene where i truly felt it was uh i i actually felt it in the one-on-one dialogue scenes with tom holland because the warmth of jake john hall really came through and that likability that he has and that did work for me on some level. But still, I was like, he looks so awkward in the costume. I don't understand the hair and the beard. I don't like, I don't get it. And then in the second half of the movie, I was like, that is why you cast Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. <laughs> I was like, all right, it all makes sense now. As someone who's watched Okja, I was really hoping for a crazy Jake Gyllenhaal. I was like, come on, we need some crazy Jake Gyllenhaal because he does crazy so freaking well put those and, eyes to good use <laughs> uh, yeah exactly and when he goes he kind of transitions from one kind of character to another it's so satisfying and he he really grabs the uh camp by the teeth as it were and rides it because he is so okay with what he's doing. And I was on board for everything he had to bring to this role and was very pleased that they cast Jake Gyllenhaal in it because he feels very natural and as this character. And I was really surprised by that too. And I shouldn't have been because of, like I said, this is why you cast Jake Gyllenhaal. But I was actually surprised because the route that I expected them to go, given how everything was initially set up. And mind you, I don't know 
the character from the comics. So I'm going into this completely blind. Yeah, I'm expecting more of this to be like a Doc Ock thing where I'm like, oh, they're setting him up as this good guy. (laughs) And there's um, this backstory with his family and there's going to be some sort of a tragic element to it. And this guy who's this, you know, uh, this amazing saving grace for all mankind is going to have this like tragic fall. (laughs) I was completely completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no way. I wrong. mean, if 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 you know what if you know who Mysterio is going into this, like comic wise, uh, cartoons wise, then you know where it's going. That's why I thought it worked so well. Because in the beginning, I'm just watching Jake Gyllenhaal's performance, and I'm like, it's so great because it's like it fe- he like everyone around. If you don't watch it, you're like, oh, this is like it's gonna be another one of those same. Uh, MCU kind of uh, baddies and stuff like that, but it's just the way they handle it, handle it all. It's just so perfect. I felt like, um, so I really loved it. Really loved his performance. It really didn't sit well with me at first because I I did feel that it was tonally off. Um, there's a scene where it's like Jake Gyllenhaal. To me, it seemed like he was channeling like his inner Tom Cruise almost. Um, and, and I think you all know what scene I'm like referring to. Uh, yeah. Let's just say it had. Let's just say it had a green, yeah. green lighting uh, in it a lot, and Jake's like standing on top of a table. Um, Maybe. I don't <laughs> know what you're about. Oh. Yeah, that. <laughs> and I was like, this is a little too much for me. But I have to say that um, after doing, yeah, some reading on the character now, understanding a little bit more, and kind of recontextualizing. It's actually sat better with me in my mind since then. Uh, but the experience of watching it completely blind was very jarring and erratic to me. Yeah, I'm in Yoshi's back because I oh. don't know anything about the comics either. So I went in blind. Um, and so I was thinking it was going to go the same baddie route. And then, um, but in the beginning, uh, the relationship between Peter and him, it did feel a little bit spider into the spider verse vibes between uh, Jake Johnson's Spider-Man and the Peter Parker. So yeah, um, I was like, "Ooh, I like this. I like where it's going." And then, and then it took a one eighty. So, um, but I really enjoyed the relationship, and Jake Gyllenhaal is just amazing. It did feel a little bit over the top, a little bit. Um, uh, what's the movie? Uh, Velvet Buzzsaw vibes, uh, a little bit in there, but um, it was awesome. I can't wait till we talk about the spoilers because I have thoughts on that. Same. Yeah, there were bits where it felt over the top, but the farther that I got in, the more that I realized that that was the actual character choice and not him overdoing what he was doing, if that makes sense. Like, I, agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I think they had a clear idea of what they wanted this character to be when they wrote it. And I think in that regard, Jake Gyllenhaal is the best actor you could possibly cast to play this. Maybe, honestly, if you couldn't get Jake, I would say Tom Cruise would have been the next best choice. Mysterio <laughs> <laughs> is traditionally such a cipher of character and Gyllenhaal just brings his all to this. And I felt the same. I was like, I still, as a Spider-Man fan, was like, are they gonna try to make him a good guy? What's going on here? So even as a Spider-Man fan, I was right there with you guys. Like, what are they gonna do with this character? Because the MCU is totally unpredictable. They could do something (laughs) that you have no preparation for. So I just kind of sat there like, all right, where are we gonna go with this? And then it went the way I was like, 75% 75% sure they were going to go and was like, oh, okay, 
Phew, I do know what's happening. <laughs> I do want to comment a bit also uh, before we get to final thoughts. Uh, one technical element that really stood out to me in this movie was the visual effects, actually. Uh, there were certain times where I thought to myself, all right, it's like your typical MCU special effects, nothing crazy. Like, I'm not really wowed by the elementals, admittedly, but there's there's this one sequence that was so Doctor Strange-like. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those visuals, the uh, or the illusions were incredible. That was one of the best totally sequences. And I think it's their oh. best visual effects yet. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. Like, that honestly, was incredible. Like, they stepped it up like a whole notch. Like, that's why I mentioned it in my like initial thoughts, because that's honestly what stayed with me the most, because I'm a big visual effects person. So I was like, wow, you can notice it. And in this day and age, when you can notice visual effects, that means they're even better. Like, they're way so good. I mean, and the fact that that sequence was so convincing that it actually had the ability to fake us out at one point. Yeah. And I and I think yeah. you all know what moment I'm talking about there. Yep. Yep. And then when we get to the uh, finale of the film and they play into it a little bit more, now we as an audience, because we've been faked out before, we don't know what's going to happen. And I was right. even more right. on the edge of my seat. And upset. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's something that... Um, I think just going into a Marvel film, people expect the visual effects to be really good, but I don't know if they appreciate the visual effects and what Marvel has done in terms of that, uh, like moving it forward. So for me, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I hope people really appreciate what we're watching because it's not an easy feat to do. And it it played into the storyline. Like if they didn't do that well, it would have been like, that's it. Like we, it would have sucked. So. Totally agree. It would have been terrible. Like you had to pull off the special effects in order to sell the story in the same way that like Ant-Man, Ant-Man had to pull off the special effects in order for us to buy into the story it's selling. And Spider-Man goes way above and beyond Ant-Man, of course. But I totally agree. It was inherent upon them to provide the good special effects in order for us to be like, okay, I believe you and I'm willing to buy into this narrative and these emotional stakes that you're selling. There was a moment that was like genuinely frightening just because of how good the visual effects were. Yeah. We can get into that in the spoilers. I think we're uh, at that point where we're close. So why don't we pass it off to um, any final non-spoilery thoughts? Uh, Dwayne, I'll throw it over to you first. Anything Spider-Man Far From Home that we did not talk about that you wish to uh, say or you want to reiterate some things? Um, So one thing, it's not really like... With this movie, it's not really like a like a main problem, but just one thing that kind of like bugs me about the uh, the newer iteration of Spider-Man and the character and the suit and all that stuff. Um, Marvel does this thing, like the MCU movies, they do this thing where you like with the skin tight costumes, they kind of cover it, and then a lot of CGI. Um, it's it's kind of like what happened in the end of in the Black Panther third act. I know a lot of people kind of talk about how the CGI in that third act is not always the strongest and stuff like that with the uh, Black Panther's suit and Killmonger's suit. 
at the ending. And in the third act of this film, I kind of was feeling the same, not with the visual effects around Spider-Man, like all of the elementals. I thought, I thought they all looked really good. Like as far as the, uh, the water one in the beginning and then the kind of cloud looking one looked cool. But when it came to Spider-Man himself, I did see a little bit of hiccups with the CGI looking like really video game ish. But other than, other than that, um, really other than that, not much else to talk about. Cause I can't wait to get into the spoilers because, um, I had a really good time with the movie and I love it. It's another, it's just another, um, step forward in a good way for Spider-Man. I cannot wait to see where they go with his story, especially with that post credit scene and what that means for the MCU and for his story. Yeah, the one scene with the suit that uh, really bothered me the most actually was uh, when he's wearing the uh, Stark Spider-Man suit and he goes backstage uh, to speak with um, yeah. Aunt May and, and Tom Holland's face can be visibly seen. It was so clear to me that that was a floating head on top of a CGI suit. It did not yeah. look right. Uh, that was the one thing that I was just like, oh, you are breaking my illusion, sirs. And Ladies, whoever's working on this, aliens, I don't know, wizards <laughs> at MCU. <laughs> In any event, uh, ready. Dwayne, what grade would you give it out of 10? Out of 10? Um, so first watch, I I was giving it about uh, an 8. Uh, second watch, enjoyed it a thousand times more. So I give it about an 8.5. We don't do point fives here. So if you had to choose between an 8 or a 9, what would it be? I'll do, I'll, I'll do 9 because I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Okay. All right. And also, too, not a thousand. We we say three thousand around here for the MCU. All right. <laughs> we love it three thousand. <laughs> I did. I loved it three thousand. Catherine, what about yourself? Uh, what grade would you give uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home? And do you have any final thoughts on it? Yeah, I guess um, I know you guys touched on it a little bit, but I loved um, the awkwardness of of Peter and MJ. But more so not because of Peter's awkwardness, because of MJ's awkwardness as well. I feel like a lot of the previous MJs were always like they were the ones that were in control, sort of. And I'm just like, no, it goes both ways. So I love that um, young audiences seeing this can feel a little bit more, see more authentic relationships on screen. So I like that Marvel's doing that at least. Um, and also, um, I understand why they're doing this in this way. Um, but it does bug me that Aunt May uh, with Marissa Tomei is kind of being just treated as a, I don't know, kind of campy. And in some ways I do like that, but in some ways I don't. I always feel like in the previous iterations, Aunt May was a little bit clueless. And in this one, she knows a lot, but she's just, I don't know. Sometimes I don't like um, how she um, is portrayed in this iteration, but I'm okay with it. Just a, a small note. Um, but with everything, visual effects, Jake Gyllenhaal, the development of Peter Parker, I would give it an eight, solid eight. Okay, cool. Nicole? Um, a couple of things. One, I, I don't think this is a major spoiler, but I just have to say that there's a line in this film that is one of my favorite lines in a Marvel film ever. Um, and it's when one of the characters says to Peter, don't ever apologize for being the smartest person in the room. Like that, yes. God. It's okay, like, not to some vein, but as someone who grew up, like, very much a straight-A, type-A kid, and often felt like I had to hide that part of myself, um, that was, like, a really touching moment for me. Um, I loved having this international setting for all of them, but I will say I was sat with um, 
my little sister, and there's a moment where they go into the Tower of London, um, and we turn to each other because the way that they have something set up within it is completely wrong. And we were both like, that's that's very false. That's not, not how that's not how security works, first of all. Um, so that did kind of crack me up. I was like, that's a very weird thing to change that much uh, and something that otherwise was, you know, seemed fairly well done and thought out. But that was just a funny thing that cracked me up. I'm like, that's not where that is in the Tower of London. Um which is probably everything that you need to know about me as a person. <laughs> but yeah, I was going back and forth between an eight and a nine. I came out of the theater. I was like a nine out of 10. Then I was like, oh, but is it an eight? And after talking about it, I'm like, nah, I'm sticking with my gut. I'm going to give it a nine out of 10. All right. All right, then. Katie. Well, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was great. And I am just going to cut to the chase and say I gave it a 9 out of 10 because it really exemplifies what I think of when I think of Spider-Man. And Tom Holland continues to grow into the role and they continue to give him more space to grow into that role. And I really appreciate that as someone who's a big Marvel fan and really into comic books and really into how they have developed Spider-Man over the 40, 50 years or whatever, that he's been a character. And I think this is a person as an actor and as a character that I can see growing into a great representative of who that person has become. And I had a hell of a good time. I have to say that <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal is super fun. Like there's just so much going on with this. So I have no compunctions about my nine out of 10 rating for it. I think that there is a lot going on in this movie. It's a lot of movie. And that's one thing I can't fault uh, them for is that if you're paying to see this movie, you're definitely, I think getting your money's worth with this one. I do think that there are some times where the film, like I said, juggles a lot and pulls off some impressive tricks, but I do think it drops the ball just in a few moments. They're very minor. They're not really big for me. Um, They're small. You know, there's a lot of really, really, really great things about this movie. I think maybe if I was more of a comic book fan and I knew some of this stuff heading in, I think it would have actually made me more positive overall. Um, With that said, as I was saying before, the post-credit sequence added another point onto this for me. So you may be thinking I'm going to say 9 out of 10, but really I'm at an 8 out of 10 on this one. Uh, It's not going to make my top 10 of the year, but it is actually one of the more enjoyable films that I've seen this year. And that post-credit sequence alone was just, it was everything to me. (laughs) It was everything. Uh, I have a few minor notes. I'm not going to go into detail into them. I'm going to just like kind of just say them. Uh, Okay, so no Michael Keaton. That was a bit of a bummer. I was kind of hoping for something, anything, really. Uh, What else do I have here? Bo. uh, I have that as a note written down. Uh, I love that this film actually does take place not just in one European city. I love that it takes place in multiple European cities. And I love that it's like it starts off in Mexico. We go to Venice. We're in Prague. Like, it's all over the place. And I thought that that actually helped to put this character in environments that we've never seen him interact in and not just Spider-Man in the CGI suit, but Peter Parker as well. So those moments of Peter Parker 
being Spider-Man and jumping around and using his webs and so on and so forth. Like that was really cool. I, I really, I really, really enjoyed a lot of that. Um, oh, oh yeah. And I what a great opening oh my god it was perfect it that was, was amazing um i'm yeah. referring to my singing by the way not the opening uh, the, the opening was good too but i'm amazing uh the blip confuses me mm, yeah. does it does it confuse anyone else i mean the no bl- but mean, i'm a like, fan you mean the name or just in general there's a there's like a couple of things about it that it's like it for me it's like the concept of the movie yesterday where okay the beatles don't exist in this world so what does that mean for pop culture what does that mean for just the current state of the world in general and i feel like this is something that's so big for the world in general but there's just like a lot of unanswered questions about the movie does not address does that make sense yeah i do feel that way a little bit but i think it's it's inconsequential in some way. So I'm like, I'll look past the non, like where it doesn't make that much sense. And I need more explanation. Cause that's not really the point, you know, like, I mean, it would be nice to know more details, but I also don't need them. If that makes sense too. <laughs> I appreciated that they made some efforts to explain some things and they dealt with the, the idea that like, yeah, this affected everyone at Peter's school, but they also didn't make this movie about being, let's explain everything in Endgame to you now. Yeah, um, I agree. Because it didn't feel, it obviously was very influenced by Endgame, but it also didn't feel like it was just a response to that. Yeah. yeah There's I a agree. line in the movie where they actually say, um, it's time to move on to a new phase or something like that. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> I see what we're doing here. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is actually the last film in uh, this phase of Marvel. After this, we now enter into uncharted territory, which should be very, very interesting to say the least. This, this acted as like the um, the epilogue yep. in many ways yep. to Endgame, which I thought was weird at first. I didn't know if it was actually necessary, but I, I, I thought it was cool because uh, Tony obviously had such an impact on this character, and uh, to see him, to see that kind of uh, wrestle within him throughout the movie was uh, very interesting to me. Uh, and then the last thing I have written down here, uh, blah, 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 where are you? Um, no, actually, I think that was it. Okay, good, awesome. Everything else is spoiler related, so let's get over there. Let's go. Yes. Let's go into the spoiler verse. All right. Holland would be so proud of us. <laughs> We've done better than he would. Yeah. Actually, I think the real person that would be proud would be Nick Fury. You know, his secrets have secrets. I don't know if you guys know this. So, um, his big secret is that uh, it actually wasn't Samuel Jackson the entire movie, and neither was it uh, Kobe Smulders, as we find out later on in the not first post-credit sequence, but the second one. They were actually the Skrulls, which yes. 
initially confused the hell out of me and I didn't understand A, its implications and B, I was like okay, now I understand why I felt like these characters were acting out of character now the rest of the movie, but yep. I didn't really quite understand what the point of it yeah, was. Can someone here from a comic book standpoint like tell me why this means anything? Well, I mean, for me I I know um, I know there's been a lot of theories of you know ever since the scrolls the scrolls were introduced and Captain Marvel of which you know which Avengers could be a scroll and a lot of people were saying oh maybe maybe Nick Fury so I feel like they were kind of just playing on that aspect of it um, I definitely agree that I don't I didn't really see the point like I for the for the two post credit scenes that we had the one of them I really really loved and I you know could not stop talking about this one I was kind of underwhelmed because I don't really see the point of it um and I don't really see why he needed to have um you know Talos you know cover him but um yeah I guess they're gonna explain that in the next com- coming movies and stuff so I mean I the biggest thing to take away from it is as much as we were saying before that Peter Parker needed a vacation after Endgame I guess Nick Fury really needed that vacation after Endgame because <laughs> right. not only did he blip for five years <laughs> but he also uh, decided to take that vacation in space so <laughs> yeah. whatever yeah, I, 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 think- I don't know I don't get it yet. I think for me, um, for me, when I saw that, um, it just made the movie um, feel a little bit more contained and just more Peter Parker's story. It kind of reiterated that. It felt like, oh, if Nick Fury thought Peter Parker would be okay, it, he trusted him to be okay. You know, like, I felt like that's what it was. Like, he needed to go through his whole development, uh, believe in himself, and then he's going to go into the next phase, you know, we're going to go into the next stage where he's already fully developed. He believes in himself, all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was kind of nice. It was just like, Oh, he didn't have to be there because he knew it would be okay. So that's how I took it in that sense. Maybe it's, you know, there is probably going to be something, um, why it was like that, but that actually made me feel better about the movie in some ways. Like, Oh, this was, and that's what I talked about at the beginning is just the stakes of this movie felt appropriate. Um, especially given uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, I guess now we can say it, um, when he turned out to not really be a villain, a superhero. Um, And so that just made it feel a little bit small, but I like that. I like the fact that it wasn't going to be this whole end of the world thing because we had so much of that with Endgame that just like Peter needed a break, I needed a break from that too. And so I enjoyed that it was just this self-contained Peter Parker needs to... um, grieve over Tony Stark and move on and then we can all move on as well. So that's what I took away from it. I agree. And I also, to me, it kind of excused the fact because I was throughout, you know, that second part of the movie being like, seriously, like Nick Fury wouldn't pick up on the fact that this guy is obviously like a little too heroic for what he's saying yeah. he is. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, if it's not actually Nick Fury, it all makes sense about like why Peter had to handle literally everything. <laughs> right i totally agree i was i i am on the same page as y'all like i felt relieved when i was like oh okay thank god this is this explains it and i was happy to see that they were as opposed to Endgame, they were giving us a hint as to where the future is going with mm. uh the post-credit sequences but it did make much more sense when i saw that the scrolls were the uh, Fury and Colby Smulders of the movie. And 
I was okay with it. It felt like, oh, okay, I can get behind this, but I need more explanation for why you did this. It can't just be this. Yeah, the what is 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 fine because it helped to explain behaviors that I was like, wait a minute, what? Why are they right? Yeah, but I don't understand the grand scheme of. I don't understand right. the grand scheme of things. It can't just be that. Like, if this is what you're going to, if this is the story you're going to tell, you have to justify this behavior. Cause and I'm, I'm sure they will in the next phase. Right. <laughs> I also oh, think, to me, it kind of also was saying that, like, Captain Marvel is where we're going. Like, yes, Peter Parker, but also remember that, it's like. cosmic. We're going Yeah. Cosmic. Captain Marvel is also the new, you know, captain of the Marvel ship. Truly. Yeah. Spider-Man is the new Tony Stark for planet Earth and Captain Marvel is the universe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it, ma- it makes yeah. perfect he sense. He just needed to get it together. <laughs> he just needed to get it together and now they're all good and then they can move on. Well, does he have it all together? Because that post credit sequence. <laughs> oh, somewhat, somewhat, somewhat. So this whole Terrible. movie, Peter's like concerned about his secret identity getting out to okay, is he though, so many the people. The man takes his mask off at every possible opportunity. And then at, that first at the scene, bar. he's like, hey, I'm swinging. I'm swinging you know what? That scene clothes. where they were in full costume and they were talking at the bar, I too was <laughs> like, I don't – something about this is not right. And either this is the worst mistake I've ever seen in a movie or they're about to make the reveal. And if they do make the reveal, then why is Peter Parker dumb in this in this scene? <laughs> no, seriously, I'm serious. I actually consider this is one of the reasons why I have a lower score than you guys, because I don't understand why Peter did not pick up on there's people around you and you're like, come on, man. You know, you're, you're so concerned. Are stupid. <laughs> Matt, have you ever met a teenage boy? Yep, exactly. Nicole knows what I'm saying. Babies are stupid. Like, I have I been know. a teenage boy, and I'm still stupid, so there you go. Like, I know my 16-year-old sister's male friends, and I'm not, I mean, they're good kids, but, like, I think they could have one pulled over on them real easy. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm, so I'm not, fa- well, for a guy who's supposed to be really super smart, like Tony in many ways, I'm, I don't know if I'm falling for that that easily. However, um, the reveal that Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Quentin Beck Mysterio, is not this new Avenger that is going to replace, uh, you know, Iron Man or Thor, Doctor Strange, as he's compared to. And, you know, it's like the rest of the world is waiting for a fantastical superhero like that to come along. But instead, it's the average teenage, you know, kid. You know, it's that it's that relatable person. And, and I think that actually kind of helped sell the message of the movie a little bit more to us in terms of the relatability of the character, that a hero, as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse told us, the hero can be anyone. Even someone who you don't think on, you know, initial, you know, viewing is this ideal version of what you think a hero should be. You know what I mean? And I I really love that. And I think that the fact that Peter has these moments where he's dumb and the fact that he's so eager to hand over the reins to someone else um, are also kind of why he is the next Tony Stark in some ways, because Tony made a hell of a lot of mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing about Tony Stark is Tony Stark is that he moves past his mistakes and he doesn't make them again. And I think that that's what we're seeing with Peter Parker as well, is that it's not that he's perfect because he's far from perfect. It's that his heart is always in the right place. And what we've seen, you know, why he messes up is that he's 
so looking for someone else to help him out. And he's so looking to not have to be the one to have all the answers and to take care of everyone that he looks over these very obvious signs that sometimes, you know, and makes these mistakes. And I think that is part of what's so endearing about him is that like, even his mistakes don't come from a place of arrogance or a place of overstepping his boundaries. They come from, I think something a bit more genuine priorities. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just wants to, he just wants to like, you know, have fun with MJ and spend time with her. I, I get it. <laughs> you know, I totally get it. Regular teenager. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what do we think of MJ uh, discovering uh, his identity on her own? Uh, which, which I mean, I'll admit I loved it. I loved it. Perfection. I loved it too. Um, I loved it too because all the other kind of Spider-Man movies, when they find out they're like this big shocking moment they never knew, all those times like where I was saved by Spider-Man and you were completely nowhere to be found, you know, I like that MJ was like, dude, every time you're gone, your Spider-Man shows up. I mean, you're Spider-Man. I like that a lot. <laughs> she's so Yeah, she's so blunt and I, that's what I loved about her. She's just yeah. so real and blunt. Like, you're Spider-Man. Okay, what about today? Today you just disappeared and Spider-Man showed up. And then Peter's like, oh, no, that's Night Monkey. And I love that. that <laughs> Night Monkey. <laughs> I thought we were going to go this whole podcast without mentioning Night Monkey. Thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> My favorite superhero is Night Monkey. Uh, <laughs> it's really niche. Uh, <laughs> Or or when that when that uh, that security guard or a cop or whatever had the mask on, he's like, oh yeah, I'm Night Monkey, Night Monkey mask. He's in the when um when Spider Man when where was he? Yeah, he was in the Netherlands, I believe. When he woke up in the Netherlands in that jail cell, and the cop had his mask on. I wondered why he never got he never went back to get his mask. But I mean, oh well. Did anyone notice? I, I overheard this, and I'm not. Sh- I I don't know if it's true or not, but so. Quentin Beck is revealed to be just a guy, a former uh, Stark Industries um, employee who had a hand in creating uh, what was known as BARF from Captain America Civil War, which was the uh, like the virtual reality thing. I don't listen. I'm not a scientist. And so he has like this group, like this team of people behind him that are creating this illusion and selling that uh, Mysterio is like this new Avenger that's going to take the place of Tony Stark for the world to see, right? Somebody pointed out to me that the guy behind the controls is the kid from A Christmas Story. Can anyone confirm this? It is, yeah. (gasps) The, what? Yeah. No way. So that was really cool because I think they've left it open for um, some of those side characters to maybe return in a sequel. Um, And as I was saying before, the fact that Michael Keaton is not in the movie, I think with the reveal at the end, now that it's been made made public that Peter Parker is Spider-Man to the rest of the world, I do think that there is room to bring back uh, some characters and to... Uh, play around with that maybe a little bit more so so i'm hoping that they go in that direction but anybody want to uh just you know because i I could say it but i want someone else to say it can someone just say the scene that almost gave me a heart attack uh jk simmons jk fucking simmons yeah my theater (laughs) my my theater erupted (gasps) like literally there was a guy there was a guy next to me who jumped out of his seat as if like you know like your favorite 
team just scored for the Super Bowl or the World Series, anything. He jumped up and it was like, oh, my God. And everyone was freaking out. Then there was another person next to me who was like, oh, what happened? Who's that guy? I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you don't know who that is? <laughs> I was at a critic screening. I wasn't even at like a public screening with like fans and stuff. And, you know, I don't ever expect critic screenings to ever get like as rowdy as those midnight screenings do with like the fans and stuff. And people went nuts during this moment. I mean, like audible screams from so many people when he appeared on screen. I I was the happiest I've been in a long, long time in that moment. I mean, just like pure giddy joy. It was everything to me because I was often wondering if they were going to bring uh, Jonah Jameson back into the Spider-Man films. And if so, I'm like, well, who in God's name would you get to play that role? Because J.K. Simmons just absolutely crushed it in the Sam Raimi films. There's no one but J.K. Simmons. That's who you get to play it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a power move. It was incredible. <laughs> I mean, like, even even the reveal at the end. I And let me tell you, after that, right? Or no, was it after that? No, it was before that. Um, before that, when... Uh, this is like the hallmark of sometimes of great villains, is that they may lose the battle, but they win the war. Yeah, and it's not yeah. so much the battle of for your life, it's the battle for your soul that they win and Quentin Beck Mysterio kind of because uh, what's like the last thing he says before he dies it's like something like the world will know the truth or something like that no it's so bad it's it, he says some sort of a line right before he gets killed um I can't remember what it was I didn't write it down but it was just like oh you know what it was it was something like um the world sees what it wants to see or something like that oh. I, something along those lines and I I just like it's true. Ah, oh, man, it, it, that that was just that was just too perfect for me. It was just too I perfect. Mean, yeah, it's true. And and like uh, going back to the guy that he had behind the keyboard, I'm blanking. On, I'm blanking on his name. Um, but he Christmas Story he, guy. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So when he um, the actor or the writer, because the writer has been dead for years. So I really hope no, it's the no, actor. it's the kid. It's the kid. The kid Ralphie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, he um when when Quentin Beck goes down, they they cut back to him and he's downloading something. So I remember before the whole third act happens, Quentin Beck turns to him and said, "If something ha- happens to me, here you go." And he, he gives him something. And then uh, when Quentin Beck dies, they go back to his character and he's downloading something into a computer. And I'm I'm guessing that was it that video um, of that illusion of you know uh, them revealing Peter's secret and telling him it was all Peter's fault with all these drones and stuff like that. Um, I also, I wanted to throw a question out too, because a lot of people that I was at the screening when they, we were all coming out talking about it. Um, did you guys feel weird that Spider-Man was pretty much the third act where he was fighting drones instead of like actually fighting someone or I didn't have a problem with it. No, but I wanna get I that out there. No, some some of my favorite MCU villains have been, um, like for example, um, I, I always get his name wrong. Uh, Zero Nero, the oh, guy Zemo? from Zemo. Zemo. There yeah, you go. Yeah. Zero to hero. <laughs> yeah, I I like I love villains like that because the motivations for them are so awesome, and the fact that they're just like not these godlike beings. They're just like average people but yet they can you know 
make an empire crumble as uh, he tries to do in that movie. Jake Gyllenhaal is doing the same thing here. And I, I, I really get a kick out of that because I, I think there's ways you have to write that and make it believable. Um, and yes, this drone technology is pretty it, it's out there. It's a little it's a little much. Um, I can't wait to see somebody try to replicate it at Comic-Con. You know, they'll dress up as Mysterio and be accompanied by like 10 drones flying around them. That should be something. <laughs> you, you know it's coming. <laughs> it is. I agree. Over time, what we've seen Tony Stark have to deal with is the idea that this technology that he's been creating can be used for both good and bad. Yes. And to see yeah. someone take it to that bad extreme and to see that technology... In someone's, you know, in the hands of someone with good intentions is good, but technology in the hands of someone with bad intentions is just as bad, I think is really important. And I think in many ways it does make Mysterio like the perfect foil to Tony Stark. Yes. I think that ties thematically very well into um, the, the inner conflict that Peter Parker is going through after losing Tony. And that, you know, Tony is a good mentor to Peter. And... Quentin Beck kind of sidles up into that mentor role, but then uses it to try and take Peter down. Um, and I, I just feel like that to me is like, and that's also the scary thing is that like, you know, I'm not really that worried about like a, a God of mischief wreaking havoc uh, on our, on our world. But the idea that somebody could, you know, come up with some really crazy drone technology and start making bad things occur. That's like a real fear that I think that taps into something a little bit closer to home, mm-hmm. close to home. Yeah. I, Far yeah, from home. And I, just that, <laughs> I just want to say that when Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Mysterio was revealed, I had the same feeling that Matt had um, where I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be Iron Man three and I'm going to hate it. And I yep. already hate it. And because I, I felt like Mysterio, like the costume design, everything was pretty badass. And I was like, Oh, I would love to have him be, you know, in future Marvel movies. And, you know, this is a pretty awesome character. And that's what happened in Iron Man three too, where I was just like, Oh, I really want to see that character that they created. That was such a cool villain or a really cool hero. And then they just like dashed my dreams and I was like, oh my God. But luckily this one brought it back and it was, it was fine. But for a moment there, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be horrible. Like I hate, especially when you build up a character so well where, you know, it was, I I liked Jake Gyllenhaal's character with Peter Parker. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Maybe uh, this thread is, they're going to go do some other stuff together. And then it was just like, oh, so I was worried there for like a hot second because I was like, oh, my God. It's that don't. scene where he's praising the employees. Yeah. It goes on too yeah. long. And it's just like I, uh, like did that that scene to me, I, I that's where I was like, they're jumping the shark. They're jumping the shark. They're jumping the yeah, shark. Yeah, just deflated everything. <laughs> and I was just like, no, this is horrible. And but then, then when we got into like the illusions and the uh, like that CGI sequence and the, yeah. the zombie yeah. Iron Man and like – I was like, I'm really, really on board now with what they're doing with this a lot. It was a skeleton in that Iron Man too. It was, it was crazy. Um, but as far as the Mysterio reveal scene, so I think because um, knowing all about Mysterio going into the movie and knowing that, like, you know, I was interested to see how Marvel was going to do it because they were kind of 
like the marketing was like, you know, side by side with Mysterio. He's the main guy. He's helping Peter Parker. This is a new hero. Um, but deep down, no, if you knew Mysterio, you know, like, okay, they're going to pull something. But I felt like it was all, it was all about the execution of how they do it, how they switch his character. Um, and I thought they executed it really well because I, I, I did think it was going on a little bit too long with him being good. I was like, all right, let's just, I hope that he doesn't turn good, like randomly in the third act. Let's have him. I mean, I hope he doesn't turn bad in the third act. And then he's only bad for like 20 minutes. I want him to, I want him, them to develop that. So when Peter leaves the bar, then all the stuff starts going away. I didn't realize that was the reveal scene. And then he starts grinning and then he's like, get this suit off me. I loved all of that. I just, I love that he, he became so narcissistic right in that moment. Like, and then he's on the table, he's boasting, he's, he's bragging. He's like, this was so easy, a silly kid. I also love the line where he's like, you know, if I, no one cares if you build something like this, but if you have somebody with a cape and some stupid lasers and stuff like that, they'll buy it and they'll buy it that you're a superhero. They won't call you a superhero if you're just some scientist who built this kind of, you know, technology. If you're a superhero, you got to get praised. You got to be seen in the public eye. And I love that dynamic. You know, it made me like wonder too, like what, what's your plan when like real shit hits the fan? <laughs> Same. I was like, dude, you, you the Earth has been having problems for years. You can't fucking hide this forever. <laughs> Obviously, Captain Marvel's gonna come back at some point. Thor is gonna come back at some point, and they'll be like, okay, but do some real stuff. They're gonna be like Mysterio, yeah, help us out, man. Right? Help us He's out. Be like, yeah, Fuck, I don't have my drones. Shit, I don't have my drones. I don't have my drones. I don't have my drones. How do I help? Right. But um, it's it, I I dug it. I <laughs> yeah, really it'd be like uh. <laughs> It'd be like they're trying to like dial Mysterio and he like ghosts him the same way that Peter Parker ghosts Nick Fury. <laughs> I also feel like that's the beauty of this character though, is that he's all like, I've got it all figured out. Yeah. But he but really you, doesn't at yeah, all. Like one tiny piece of a drone of a drone is gone and like his entire plan falls apart. Yep. Yep. Uh last thing I wanna just touch on uh before we go in regards to the spoilers here. Peter's identity being revealed and what that means for him moving forward, you know, because quite a few people in this movie knew, right? Happy knows, MA knows, MJ knows. It feels like a lot of people already know. So now Ned. that the entire world knows, yeah, Ned, now that the entire world knows, what does that mean? Uh, do we think? I just want to see. I want to see the reaction of that kid at his school who, like, hates him but loves Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, hey, Grand Budapest Hotel. Stop <laughs> dickwad. <laughs> I love that. Doesn't he become a, um, a, a character in the comics? Like, something – like, doesn't he do something uh, else? Kind of. Not really. Yeah. I think at one point he gets access to the Venom Symbio. suit, but not really. Yeah. I, would, I would like to see him get more. Um, just because I've been like, who doesn't love Grand Budapest Hotel? And it was so sad. Him messaging his parents like, I haven't talked to you for weeks. Like, (laughs) oh, I'm sorry, honey. You're you're going through a bad time. I like that they were able to utilize his social media to find out where they were. Yes. And he's like, he's like, oh, Spider Man follows me, and then that's the you know they're about to die. That's his last thought is that Spider Man follows me on social media. Ridiculous, but um, 
It's weird. They do give his character something though. Like right at the when that's when they're all at the airport, um, there's a there's a little part where he asks if his mother came and she never came. So I wonder if they're gonna touch on his character a little bit more in the next ones. Um, but they did show that, and I saw seeing that again. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I wonder why they put that there because there was no really substance in front of or behind it. So that's interesting. I do think it's a nice little commentary on the fact that, like, so often the kids in high school who are like terrible to the other kids are the ones who have like something going on in their home mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And I felt like that was like a nice, compact way of addressing the fact that, like, yeah, this kid who like is so horrible to Peter and has been for these past two films, you know, it, it, it comes from a place of his own insecurity. I will say that I will say this. I think that it makes uh, Aunt May a target in the next yes. film. Definitely. Oh, wow. And MJ and, and MJ. Ned and his friends. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to kill all of Peter's friends in the next film. Uh, we're going to just do like, you know, Game of Thrones style and just take out all these main no, characters. No, well, I hope not. Because that's one thing that this movie does touch on is that he he's very adamant. He's like, no, by, you know, by bringing my friends here, you've put my friends in danger because I'm Spider-Man. And I think that in the third film, I feel like we're really going to explore that more. The fact that, like, he feels this guilt that the people that he loves are in danger because of who he is. Um so I hope that that's something that we're going to really carry through with. It's going to be weird, though, because now it's not like he can work at the Daily Bugle as a uh, pho- photographer for uh, Jameson. You know what I mean? Because it's <laughs> no. like, hey, you're a Spider-Man. Get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, like I said, I think that they're doing a great job of acknowledging aspects that worked in the previous films, but putting their own unique twist on them within the world of the MCU. And... That's very, very exciting. Um, I know we didn't really touch upon this before, but I do want to just say, and I think we kind of did touch upon it, just maybe we just didn't say outright. Um, I do think that this film could be on the short list for the visual effects uh, this year. Yeah. Well, you know how I, I agree. About that, so. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't think it will be nominated. I don't have it in the nomination slot, but I think it could be at least on the short list. I think it gets nominated for sure. Just, just due to that dream landscape that looked almost Spider Versey is definitely, I think so. It's the best. Oh, oh my God! How did I forget? How did I forget to bring that up? Uh, yeah. Spoiler. Uh, last spoiler. Jesus, they vaguely mentioned a multiverse. Yes. At one point. But that's a fake out. Is it? No, no. Is it though? Wait, wait. Is it though? Well, Well, I'm saying we don't know. In the in the context of the film, because it is. Quentin Beck that says it, yes, obviously it is a lie, but the fact that it's even just brought up, it made me just sit forward and just be like, oh my god, guys, yeah. what if there is a world, what if, oh my god, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland are no. all in the same movie as different versions of Spider-Man? No, That's what I wanted, terrible. honestly. No, I, I wanted that kind of like, I just wanted Tobey Maguire to just come out of nowhere and, you know, you have the multiverse, but that was one of the things that I wanted to see more of, but then they, but then they revealed that it was a fake out that he said, um, you know, there was a multiverse, but in, 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 in the comics though, there is a, like Spider-Man's earth is 616. And that's what, uh, that's what, uh, you know, Quentin Beck said, this earth was, he said, this is the earth of 616. I'm uh, 616. I'm from the earth blah 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 so maybe he does know about the multiverse but i don't know 
but if it, it, it's an illusion apparently it also felt like such a funny gotcha at the audience because obviously like so many of us i feel like watching it like had a mini freak out of like oh my god the multiverse is real and yep. then <laughs> later it's like oh okay yeah they got me like <laughs> well i i think for now we should all assume yes they got me and then i will be very curious if like in another post credit sequence or something like that there is like this huge reveal and next thing you know there's an animated jake johnson version of spider-man from into the spider-verse like interacting with a real life tom holland i'll be like you frame roger rabbit for a new generation my god don't (laughs) don't tempt sony they would do something like that if they found out people wanted it like you know have them all i do want it that's the thing tom hardy's venoms in there just a bunch of stuff so i mean i don't know I, I kind of do want it, even though I think Venom is trash. And I do think that this idea, although cool, like cool on the surface, could get extremely mishandled. Um, I don't care. I want it right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, so much uh, for this. This has been a tremendous amount of fun. Catherine, tell everyone where they can find you and your work on the Internet. Yes, so you can find all stories at shuffleonline.net and then you can follow me personally at Things Cat Loves, and that's with a C um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then you can follow Shuffle Online at Shuffle Online on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Kat. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. Dwayne, how about yourself? Uh, well, thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. Uh, you can find the Cinemania World page on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cinemania World. And me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Cinemaniac94. All righty. And Nicole Ackman. I am at Nicole Ackman16, where I will be discussing all things uh, Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast and our review of Spider-Man Far From Home. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Leave us five stars. Write us a comment. And if you are feeling supportive, head on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time.